This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. I'm Timothy Dennis. I'm Matthew Moore. Ahead on our show, the Arkansas legislators taking a spring break. So we hear from State Senator Brian King about what has happened so far, what we can expect after the break, and more. Plus, a trip to the zoo with our militant grammarian. First, the Institute for Integrative and Innovative Research at the University of Arkansas is collaborating with the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences and health technology companies and providers on a groundbreaking neural enhanced prosthesis study to restore the sense of touch with upper limb amputees. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Sophia Nurani report. Sophie, after a conversation with some of the members of the Institute for Integrative and Innovative Research, what stuck with you after that conversation? Something that stuck with me was the real implications and the results of the work that these people are doing. This research can directly affect a participant's whole lifestyle and contributes to the knowledge behind centuries of work. And it's almost just unthinkable to really know that the end goal for these researchers, you know, that they're actively working towards is to restore full sensory feedback from these missing limbs. And the fact that these researchers still have such a need for participants in this ongoing study. Yeah, it's still a real need and that this research, as far as they've come, is still in its early stages. Every day, month, year, they're improving on an entire field that was made possible by research that was published just a few years ago. This study confirms the possibility that rings true for amputees who experience ghost or phantom limb, a phenomenon where people with amputations feel very strongly that the phantom limb is still part of the body, able to be used and felt. And Sophie, I've, I think you'd find this interesting. There's an NPR article that came out last year where a biomedical engineer said that in a study measuring how fast it takes prosthetic users to pick up things, it takes users with that restored sense of touch about half the time it takes people with prosthetics usually to pick up these objects and move them. And in some cases, the person completed a task nearly as fast as an able-bodied person. Wow. We asked Tommaso Benigni, a doctoral fellow, about where their research stood. And he and Srikanth Chavali, another research assistant at the center, described the scientific and personal importance of their work. This is a new field in general. I think the first real implants or that started up was, I think, 2014, 2011. These papers started coming out, sort of proving that, hey, just because you have an amputation doesn't mean those nerves are dead. That's not really, that's newish information before the two, after the 2000s. So we're, we're learning a lot along the way. Um, and that's, I think, something that, you know, we're building on work of other people, the people that did a lot, but there's work to be done. We're getting information that we didn't have before on how to go from, you know, a robotic hand that you can grab something with, but you don't feel anything in. Like, that sort of basic thing that you expect you would have, and then how to kind of slowly transform that into something that feels natural, that feels like something you can actually use and go about your day, and how much of an impact that actually has on someone. Like, knowing how much pressure you're putting when you're grabbing someone's hand, like, that can be the difference between, like, holding your granddaughter and being, like, and, you know, feeling comfortable doing that and being afraid you're going to hurt her. You know, so that's why this work is cool. And that's why uh, me working with participants like that is so exciting. 
We also talked to Dr. Ranu Young and Dr. James Abbas from the Institute for Integrative and Innovative Research. This functional value, obviously, right? If you know hand is opening or closing and you are touching something or gripping something, but there is also what it means for us to be engaged and embedded within our environment. Touch plays such an important role. So, you know, whether it is touching, you know, your loved one's face, that are holding somebody's hand, all of that makes a difference. And especially if you, and you think that, you know, you might feel different textures. So while we are not at the level of saying, can you touch silk or touch fur and be able to tell all that, but we really are people who rely on our senses and all of the senses put together and what we feel, what we do with our hands plays a huge role in it. So it's also that emotional connection that you get with being able to touch or feel, you know. I was also curious about research participants that they've worked with in the past and what kind of impact that they had had on their careers and future work. Dr. Young reminisced on her and Dr. Abbas's journey with prosthetics. I would say our the person who had the first implant. You know, we had read about people uh, saying that, oh yeah, we got, you know, because of other research studies, but this happened in front of us. So the very first time when we had put an implant into somebody who had lost the limb, and when we gave him the stimulation and he, he could, you know, first it was like it's a missing limb, and then he held his wife's hand. And, and just that whole emotional thing for us to see his experience, that is gripping, you know. Dr. Young also described what responsibility these scientists and researchers have in using and creating these technologies. Imagine this responsibility that if we do this right, this is the reality that we are able to give back to the person. Obviously, their brain and everything is part of the picture and interpreting and perceiving, but what we are able to do to give back, that is that is such a profound opportunity, and we have, we have to be so thankful that we have this kind of an opportunity to actually make use of our technologies to allow a person that, you know, give them back that capability of being, getting their reality back, you know. That's, it's, it's also a responsibility. Dr. Abbas also stressed that these patients give of themselves, their time, and the sacrifices they make, not just for their own sake, but for the future of science. Their dedication and their willingness to take risks and willingness to commit to, you know, to, the, you know, to a project like this. And I think in several projects that I've been involved with, well, all of the experimental work that has ever happened in my research lab over many universities and many labs and many projects have involved experiments with people. And so we're always asking people to help us test something out that is new. And sometimes that involves somebody coming in and doing something for a couple of hours and then leaving and it's over and there's no real risk and it's, you know, a couple of hours of commitment. But sometimes it involves taking a real chunk of their lives and their uh, time and their emotional well-being and saying, I'm going to dedicate it to this project. And that 
I think is something that's very special about this kind of work is that, you know, we are certainly totally dependent on that willingness of people to participate, but we're also certainly benefits the project, that it's something that, you know, we, we need not only the information about that system, but we need to understand what it is, what's it like to live with a disability and what's it like to live with a situation where, you know, I had a spinal cord injury and so this, you know, you know this is how it changed my life. Or I had a car accident and this is, and it uh, ended up with an amputation and this is how it changed my life and, uh, you know, an industry accident or whatever. So that kind of experience and that kind of, you know, life and the experience of dealing with in those examples that I gave, a traumatic event, and how does that influence you? I think that is something that is um, very important for us as product developers, as engineers, to understand and not just sort of read about it and say, oh, yeah, well, somebody, you know, um, somebody to lost it. Somebody had, yeah, somebody had a spinal cord injury and now they use a wheelchair to get around. Okay. But what does that really mean for somebody's life? And, you know, that I think is something that we get from our interaction with the people that are participating and there's really no other way to get it. I mean, Sophie, when I think of a research study, I think of somebody going in maybe for a few hours, answering some questions, and then leaving with like a gift card or something. Not necessarily a years-long study with not a well-known procedure and even an experimental implant surgery. It's thinking about what people are willing to give of themselves. Because somebody like that who is participating in a study like ours, where it is an investigational device, there is no guarantee of any um, that this is going to do any benefit for you, and you are willing to to really give of yourself for the betterment of the future of others. It, that is inspirational, and that is also something that we have to be profoundly thankful for, and just understanding that there is more to life than just even making a piece of technology or doing that, right? Think about the person who chooses to volunteer in a project like this. And what, so we are learning from them. We are learning about the graciousness of people and what they, they bring to the rest of us you know, and to the future, future generations. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Sophia Narani. And I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. Washington Regional's Her Health Clinic is committed to empowering all women by giving them the care and resources they need to take control of their own health. Gynecology services, prenatal care, childbirth, infertility treatments, and more available at Her Health Clinic, located in Washington Regional's Women and Infant Center in Fayetteville. WRegional.com slash HerHealth to learn more. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, April 8th at Walton Arts Center with Battle of the Bands. Sona teams up with the Fayetteville Jazz Collective to create a hybrid orchestra jazz band for an evening of genre-defying music. Featuring guest vocalist Janine Latrice Perez. Tickets and more at sonamusic.org. Ahead on our show, turns of phrase and the animals that influence them. 
What insect comes to mind when one is really, really riled? That's later this hour on Ozarks at Large. This is KUAF. All throughout the month of March, the Community Spotlight will have a specific focus, donations and local support for the Elizabeth Richardson Center. March is Intellectual Disabilities Awareness Month, and for 60 years, the ERC has been working to enhance the quality of life for individuals with disabilities in our community. Inflation and just everything, those costs are also passed on to nonprofits, and we, we just really need some extra help. This nonprofit offers both children and adult services, life skills, employment services, and even residential options for certain individuals. They're looking to bust the box with a donation drive all this month. Through March 11th, they're specifically looking for cloth items such as socks, towels, washcloths, underwear, sports bras, full or queen bedding, and curtains. For the full list of needed items or for more information, visit ERC. INC.org. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday sent a request to President Joe Biden to secure a major disaster declaration to support ongoing recovery efforts in communities impacted by severe weather in January and February. Governor Sanders says in a press release that the severity and magnitude of these storms are beyond the capabilities of the state and local governments and that supplementary federal assistance is necessary. The governor has named 13 counties in southeastern as well as northeastern Arkansas to receive the federal funding. Engineering researchers at the University of Arkansas achieved a major milestone last month with a successful test flight of their electric motor drive on a hybrid electric aircraft. The project aims to bring significant changes in aeronautics industry as well as benefits to environmental quality. U of A researchers collaborated with two private companies, Ampere and Wolfspeed, as well as the University of Illinois, to develop an electric motor drive tested in flight on a hybrid electric aircraft. The project is funded by the U.S. Department of Energy's Advanced Research Projects Agency Energy Circuits Program, or ARPA-E, a U.S. government agency promoting and funding early-stage research and development of advanced energy technologies. The lead researcher for the University of Arkansas is Alan Mantooth, Distinguished Professor of Electrical Engineering and Executive Director of the National Center for Reliable Electric Power Transmission. Aided by the research team, Ampere will conduct additional test flights and continue to collect data to improve future designs. Northwest Arkansas poultry companies and the state of Oklahoma have been granted a 90-day extension to reach an agreement on a remediation plan for the Illinois River watershed. The initial deadline was last Friday. Nearly 18 years ago, Oklahoma filed a case against almost a dozen poultry companies, including Tyson Foods and Simmon Foods, for polluting the watershed with phosphorus and bacteria from poultry manure. Federal Judge Gregory Frizzell ruled in favor of Oklahoma in January. The state and poultry companies are expected to submit a joint status report June 9th, and the next court date is June 19th. Tomorrow, Cherokee Nation and AT&T will celebrate a newly constructed cell tower built by the nation in collaboration with AT&T, giving the population of Kenwood fast, reliable, and secure connectivity. Federal funding from the American Rescue Plan provided the two partners with the financing to build the 355-foot-tall tower, which now provides high-speed internet and wireless services for the first time to the area. 
The Arkansas Farm Bureau Foundation is partnering with Arkansas Hunters Feeding the Hungry with an initial gift of $25,000 for a program fighting food insecurity in Arkansas. The donation is earmarked for a wild game snack stick program created by Arkansas Hunters Feeding the Hungry, which provides shelf-stable meat snack sticks to schools for their backpack programs and provides a protein option for students. One in five Arkansas students face hunger, according to research from Feeding America. Three of the 12 teams from universities competing in the annual Heartland Challenge startup competition are from the University of Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports the teams represent eight universities and will be in Bentonville to compete for a $100,000 prize pool in April. Out of 90 applicants, 12 semifinalists remain in the Heartland Challenge, a student startup competition in Arkansas. Brandon Howard, communication and social media specialist for the U of A, says the challenge is meant to provide students with the experience of raising venture capital. I think this gets to show what we're building in Arkansas in terms of our entrepreneurial ecosystem. We're bringing people from, in some cases, all over the world and definitely all over the country to see that there is a way to build your entrepreneurship venture here in Arkansas. And it doesn't have to be in the coastal cities. It can be in the heartland. There are demographic disparities in venture capital funding in Arkansas and the U.S., No woman in the state received venture capital, and 90% of seed funding went to white male founders in 2021, according to the university's Capital Scan report. In Bentonville, there will be a free public showcase of the teams in the Heartland Challenge at the Startup Expo, and visitors can vote for their favorite competitor. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. The Walmart AMP has announced that they will transition to digital tickets as the default delivery method for the 2023 season. The venue says the move is designed to improve patron experience, ensure secure ticket delivery, and reduce counterfeit tickets. Current ticket holders will receive an email by March 31st with details about logging in and using the digital tickets. A good day yesterday for the two Razorback women's teams competing. The 12th-ranked Razorback softball team defeated 13th-ranked Alabama in extra innings last night, 2-1, to one, clinching the series. The win marks the first time Arkansas softball has won a series in Tuscaloosa. And the women's basketball team continues their postseason journey by holding off Stephen F. Austin 60-37 in the women's NIT. They will face Texas Tech on Friday at 7 p.m. in Bud Walton Arena. And four Razorback track and field coaches have been honored with National Coach of the Year awards. Following a sweep of NCAA indoor titles, Coach Lance Harder and Assistant Coach Chris Johnson were named Women's Coach of the Year and Assistant Coach of the Year, respectively. Men's Coach and Assistant Coach of the Year were awarded to Chris Bucknam and Travis Gepford. Arkansas becomes the first school to claim all four indoor coaching honors since Assistant Coach Awards were added in 2008. Alan Mantooth is a professor of electrical engineering at the University of Arkansas, and he's an international leader in researching and using silicon carbide as a powerful and versatile semiconductor. He says the U of A is uniquely positioned as a leader in the semiconductor economy. We're attempting to create a bridge in the manufacturing gap that exists in America. Right now we have a lot of expertise, probably the world's leading authorities around the nation, in this material system and the things that it can do for us in in our everyday lives. So we have bridged that gap by creating an open facility where university researchers, national laboratories, or even small and large businesses that don't have access to this capability can prototype their ideas in a cost-efficient manner 
and then ramp it to high-volume manufacturing. Hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill at KUAF.com, ArkansasResearch.uark.edu, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. The Arkansas legislature is on a break this week, so we take a moment to catch up with one of their members. I spoke with Republican State Senator Brian King of Green Forest late last week on the phone and asked what his initial thoughts were on the 2023 general session. Senator King says there hasn't been much that has gone on at all so far. For seven weeks, we really just didn't tackle much of anything. You know, it was kind of equated to like swatting dead flies. I mean, there was a few issues that came up, uh, but uh, and then the Arkansas Learns comes through kind of like a little bit of a hurricane. And, and you know, it's passed within two weeks. Uh, I think now, you know, the last session, now they're, you know, yesterday's calendar had way too many bills on it to be voting on. I mean, they're talking about batch bills, which I've never liked batch bills. So now it's like trying to pick up and, and turn into the Wild West down there instead of being a more managed, you know, system, you know, the first two weeks being, you know, more bills going through and then less later. But uh, so right now, you know, they're just waiting on the education adequacy to come through. That hasn't come through. We keep hearing discussions of tax cuts, but hadn't seen anything major out of that. I think that, you know, they're talking about prisons. You know, there was these stories of El Dorado prisons they were going to build for 5,000 beds, and 3,000 beds. I think Arkansas learns with the extra increase in spending. I think that sucked a lot out of tax cuts and, you know, what they can do for corrections. You know, it's kind of strange that some of these big things here, they're trying to wrap the session up and be done by April 7th, but yet some of these other big issues that they're wanting to talk about, you know, hadn't even been discussed. I mean, adequacy has not been out yet. The corrections, uh, prison reform or prison sentencing hasn't, hasn't been out yet. And tax cuts, for the most part, has not been out yet. And we still have the budget, and they're wanting to get done in two weeks. You are one of, as far as I'm seeing, one of two Republicans who voted against SB 294, which turned into the Learns Act. What sort of feedback did you hear from constituents and perhaps from, you know, education folks in your community? So I think there's a lot of skepticism. I mean, I think even in the homeschool crowd, there was skepticism of like, well, if I do this voucher, then I've got to go by, you know, some type of government rules to do that. So there's some skepticism on that. I think when you look at the public school people, I think they were largely maybe strongly opposed to, you know, mixed skepticism because they really don't know how it's going to end. I mean, you look at the starting pay for teachers, some teacher come out making 50000 You know, we've got teachers here in rural districts that, you know, have 15 years in, a master's degree or two, and they're just now making over fifty. You know, I, my biggest concerns were the overall cost and spending right now with the economy not doing well and a lot of cautionary things that are coming on to have these massive increases in spending right now make it very hard to to sit there and and you know even no matter how noble a program it is when you're starting to have massive spending increases in fact i think they in year three they said well we really don't know how we're going to pay for it well that's not a financially responsible thing to do, in my opinion. The second part is on the voucher part that I had. I have no problem with vouchers. I've I've had I've campaigned on vouchers all the way back in 2006. My thing on the vouchers is, and my hard line on it is, the vouchers need to be paid on the performance end. So 
so much like a scholarship. So if a kid walks in, you know, gets a 30 on their ACT, then they get this scholarship. And I mean, I'm worried about, you know, in the initial phase of this thing of letting things out of the gate or approved, even though they may be well well intended, maybe a micro school or a church doing a school or something like that. And then, you know, in two or three years, they're not testing well or they're not doing what, and then those kids are going to be back on the public school system. So I think the voucher in a hard line for me has been on the back end. The other thing, too, is somebody who's back around during the XC college scandal. That's enough to raise questions about public money and private school mix of like a questions accountability. So that raised some concern. The third line it didn't cross for me was was just how fast the bill went through on this kind of matter. And I'm for taking the time to go through it and get questions uh, answered. So those were the three main things. But I think most of you, even a lot of public school people were like, they like, you know, kind of like me, they like some of it. I will say this, it was probably one of the most politically courageous thing for the governor to go out there and do is talk about do education rather than the Mike BB and the Asa Hutchinson thing of just kind of do the general feel good things and touch on. I mean, she's really tried to step in there and do something. And I think even opponents recognize that when you step out there politically and you do something to take a stand, it brings focus on an issue that, you know, quite frankly, you know, Governor Beebe or Governor Hutchison never had the courage to do. But for me, it just came down to those three things of why I just could not cross the line for it. Yeah. Why do you think there was such a rush to get it through the legislature? You know, you'll have to ask them again, I, you know, why they rush. I mean, when you when you roll out and you have, I don't even really know the number, what, 100, out of 135, uh, close to 100 were co-sponsoring it right off the bat. I mean, there was people co-sponsoring without even reading the bill, you know, before the bill was exactly out. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I, 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 you'll have to ask them. Were you asked to co-sign on the bill? I think I was asked, yeah. And, and I said, nah, I just want to see it first. And then, you know, of course, once it got rolled out, you know, it was voted on very quickly. And I voted present on the first way through just simply because, you know, I just didn't know. And, uh, you know, they said it was going to be amended to the House. And when it came back from the House, I voted no. What sort of priorities do you hope that the legislature takes in its second strike at, uh, at bringing forward legislation this session? You know, it's financial responsibility. I mean, we're right now looking at a time where, I mean, if you ask people today, do you think the economy is going to be better than it is today? Do you think it's going to be about the same? Or do you think it's going to be somewhat worse or maybe even really concerning? You know, I think most people polled today in my district, you know, when I'm out talking, the economy is slowing down. You know, we're not seeing this real estate on fire thing. It, I mean, it's looking long term at the interest rate. Now you look at these bank closures and stuff. There's a lot of reasons to be very cautious. So I think most people polled would be in the in the thing of, you know, I don't know that things are going to be better in year three. So financial responsibility and looking at cautionary spending right now, it doesn't matter how noble the idea is. If you don't have the money to do it, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's going to be actually a negative. You know, in prison sentencing reform, I mean, I'm all for that. But, you know, once again, how are you going to pay for it? I mean, that's the first question you need to ask in state government or anybody who does anything is how are you going to pay for it? And Senator Hester has said, well, we'll just come up with the money. Well, if you're going to tackle something that's going to be in the mode of a half a billion dollars to a billion dollars in a three or four year period, 
I think I want a better answer than we're just going to find the money to pay for it. Especially if the idea is to also cut taxes too, right? Yeah, I mean, you're looking at they've you know greatly increased baseline spending in education. There's no slowing down of Medicaid. The money influence of Medicaid is keeping the the money flowing to Medicaid. The outside inches of Medicaid down there is still. I've been out four years. It's still as big of uh, you know cronyism and corruption as it's been going on before. So Medicaid spending is not going to not going to retract it much of anything at all. Maybe only through redetermination. Maybe so Medicaid baseline is going to go up. You look at prisons correction. They're wanting to go up on that. They've talked themselves out so much on that. They've got to do something on that. And then you decrease revenue with tax cuts. You know, I mean, at economy when the money comes in, you know, no one down there anymore. It's very frustrating from from when I started in politics years and years ago and started ran. What, 16 years ago or something like that for rep. You know, we didn't we just didn't look to the next election. You tried to look 45 years down the road. I'm a farmer. We have to look one year, two year, five year, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. That is gone in politics, both sides, to, to just look. And you know, now, now it's just about looking at the next filing period and the next primary campaign that you can win and what you can put on a postcard and try and sell or mislead people. It's not about looking five, four or five years down the road. How do you pay for something? What do you do? What's the economy going to be? You know, what we have to do. That stuff's gone, unfortunately. And it's both sides, political parties. It is both sides because it is all about like just looking at the next filing period, who's going to file, what they can do. How can you win the next primary? And then I'll talk my way out of any problem and, and do something else the next time and say whatever I need to during the campaign to, uh, uh, get elected. I mean, that that is uh, the elections are, are basically now, you know, just constrained to a three and a half month period from the filing period to primary day. And uh, I think it's unfortunate. And one bill that I tried to do, you know, when I was down there, I can remember back when running for state rep was $250. Now it's $3,000. I remember. And I think I remember when running for state Senate was maybe $750. I mean, now running for State Senate is $7,500 in the Republican primary. So we used to get on to Democrats if they were so bad and, and tried to keep regular people from running. We bashed them all the time. And then what has Republican Party and establishment done? They've raised this Republican filing fee to $7,500 for State Senate. So I filed a bill, and it failed on Thursday, that would limit to the filing fees on parties to 0 to 3% of state salaries and 0 to 5% of federal salaries. And the bill fell. So like I said, unfortunate elections now today are down to from the filing period to primary day or the runoff, in my case, like it had last time. Do you expect, I mean, we've talked about how much there is to do with just a couple weeks left. Do you expect that there will be an extraordinary session? I, I don't know. I don't know how they get some of these things done. And, and we're taking off the week of spring break, which I, I disagreed with. I think we should just work right on through. Uh, but I mean, after we come back, maybe in a week or two, getting done with everything and then wrapping up at this point in time, the way the legislature rubber stamps everything, I, you know, I really don't know. I mean, um, you probably need to ask somebody else. I mean, I'm just going to do what Brian King thinks is best and, uh, go from there. But 
there are a lot of big issues to be wrapped around here. And like I said, there's adequacy, there's education adequacy, there's corrections, there's tax cuts, there's constitutional amendments, and then there's the budget bill at the end. So I'm kind of confused about how that's all going to work. But like I said, you know, I never thought we'd basically pass an education bill in this thing we did within two weeks either. So, and we did. So, you know, it's unfortunate down there today about, you know, the rubber stamping of things and, and not questioning and challenging things. But anyway, I'm just one vote and trying to do what I can and thinks best. That was State Senator Brian King of Green Forest. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore spoke to the senator last week over the phone. Rocklahoma 2023 Music Festival is September 1st through the 3rd, 2023. And KUAF is giving you the chance to win VIP tickets. Held in Pryor, Oklahoma, bands include Asking Alexandria, Rob Zombie, Aaron Jones, and more. Winners will be announced on Friday, August 25th during Ozarks at Large. KUAF.com for complete lineup and registration. Some often attribute human characteristics to their pets. And as our militant grammarian Catherine Schultz recently pointed out to Ozarks at Large's Kyle Kellams, some even more often compare their own behavior with animals. Recently, I was researching our Valentine's Day discussion, and I tried to find the origin of the phrase puppy love. I didn't have much luck, but it did lead me to a list of other animal-inspired phrases. Okay. We often attribute emotions and other human characteristics to animals. What's that? That's a literary device called what? Oh, I call it projecting, but uh, you're, uh, you're, when you, when you uh, uh, amorphous... Uh, Anth- anthro... Yes. <laughs> I can't, can't, yes. Anthropo- anthropomorphism. Yeah, yes. anthropomorphism. Yes. Yeah. Similarly, we also describe people as having animal characteristics. Oh, yeah. You might, for instance, say a teenager who consumes a lot of food eats like a horse. Yes. Do you know the literary device for that? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Zoomorphism. Okay. Which makes sense, sure. right? Right. Zoomorphism also includes assigning animal-like qualities to gods and inanimate objects. The term comes from the Greek words zoon, which means animal, mm-hmm. and morphe, which means form or shape. Uh, I, I will say I probably mispronounced all of those That's things. Fine. but Yeah. <laughs> So get ready for a zoomorphic quiz. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Kyle, animal characteristics we mm-hmm. use to describe certain types of people. Okay. So let's return to puppy love. What mm. is puppy love? Well, puppy love is, you think of that as someone who is, uh, in fact, someone young who's mm-hmm. infatuated with someone who's young. Mm-hmm. It's maybe the first time they've really felt strongly mm-hmm. for somebody else. And often dismissed by adults, Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just puppy love. They'll yeah. be on to someone else yeah. in two weeks, yeah. The term comes from the pure affection puppies lavish on humans. Yeah, well. <laughs> adult dogs are more discerning. You have not <laughs> met my adult dog. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And exhibit likes and dislikes for people and other dogs. Guess that's where there's no such thing as dog love. I will bring Daisy. You've got to meet her because <laughs> she just thinks everybody is fantastic. Kyle, if you're moving really, really slowly, mm-hmm. what fry- phrase might describe that? And we're going... Uh, Animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am as slow as a... Uh, uh, moving slowly. You're moving at a... Snail's pace. Yeah. yeah. This self-explanatory yeah. Idiom, idiom is far from a compliment. Shakespeare used variations of the simile, slow as a snail, in several of his plays. I will tell you mm-hmm. that a couple of summers ago, I was on my patio having my first beer. <laughs> this will sound like I've had <laughs> Just more. Just first. Yeah. Uh, it's spring. 
and there's a snail mm-hmm. on the patio, and I'm kind of looking at it. It wasn't, I mean, for its size, it was doing a pretty good pace. I have seen uh, uh, little clips on on Facebook or wherever. Turtles, Turtles can, can move. Yeah, yeah they got it. <laughs> They've just got it all figured out if you don't have to move fast. <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay, someone who is unlikely to move at a snail's pace could be said to be what? Busy as a bee. There you go. Yes, 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 yes. Why do you think bees and busyness came to be connected? Well, the hive and the honey and the way they move and shake their back half of their body. I mean, mm. they're always looking like they're in motion. Yeah, they're not, they don't look like they're sleeping ever. No, right? they move faster than snails. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the idiom busy as a bee is typically used to, as a compliment to acknowledge someone's accomplishments and the fact that they worked hard to get them. We can credit... Jeffrey Chaucer for the simile busy as bee. Huh. It comes from the Canterbury Tales written between 1387 and 1400 in the epilogue to the merchant's tale. <laughs> what insect comes to mind when one is really, really riled? Insect that when you're mad, you are mad as you're angry as a hornet. There you go. Or yeah. mad as either okay. one. Hornets are large wasps that live in communal nests. Mm-hmm. These social insects get aggressive when they feel threatened and use their stings to kill prey and defend their nests. Yeah. A person who likes to make trouble or cause a commotion is someone who stirs up a hornet's nest, leaving everyone behind them to get stung. Okay, as a good Southerner, if you were riled up, Kyle, what poultry reference might you express? Ah, uh, well, chicken means you're scared. Cock of the walk means you're perhaps unduly confident. So you're you're riled up. Riled up. Poultry. Mm-hmm. You, Goose. No, but you. The first thing you said was chicken. Uh, yeah, but what kind of chicken? What sex chicken? A hen. You haven't heard matter than a wet hen? Oh, I have. I have. <laughs> you got to remember I was North Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, 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 I don't think I've ever actually... I've said that, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The idiom comes from hens who get agitated when you try to collect their eggs. Well, it's theirs. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Do you know what I went through? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get it. And I know what they're, they go right. for these days. <laughs> How about as righteously... Indignant. Yes, as a wet hand. (laughs) What animal comes to mind if you've been, if you've encountered a person who is really good at deception? uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Wolf in sheep's clothing, Mm -hmm. yes. The idiom is often attributed attributed to an Aesop fable, but it comes from a sermon by Jesus recorded in the book of Matthew in the King James Bible. Quote, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. I knew that, by the way. You did. I did. Kyle, imagine a proprietor of a gift shop when the shop is overrun by a group of teenagers <laughs> being careless about the fragile merchandise. What animal idiom comes to mind? Bull in a china shop. Yeah. The term describes someone who's clumsy and can be destructive to breakable items. The idiom can also describe someone who feels awkward and says or does the wrong thing in a delicate situation such as a funeral. I don't think I've ever heard it used that way. I have heard it, and this is, I'd say, in the last 
10 or 15 years, I've heard it much more like that. Like huh. someone who maybe you're walking on eggshells around because uh, they come in and they just disrupt everything. Yeah. yeah. I had never said that. The idiom first appeared in the eight, early 1800s and was popularized in cartoons and song. Kyle, have you ever felt like a fish out of water? Oh, yeah. What is that feeling? Well, like you don't belong. Like you're everybody else is something or knows something or can do something and you can't. Uncomfortable in unfamiliar surroundings. Yes. Yeah. Whether or not you've ever gone fishing, you're likely to see a picture of a fish caught in a net, fluttering and gasping for air. People can feel like that too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, if you want to get a little bit grimmer, like a panic attack or something, uh-huh. sure, right? Then you're because sure. you're, yeah, you need to breathe harder and get mm-hmm. air. Yeah, a version of this idiom can be traced back to Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Well, there you go. Seems like everything can. Yeah, uh, Kyle, what does "ants in your pants" mean? You cannot stay still. You've got to be moving. You've got to be doing something. Right. Even if you haven't actually had ants in your pants, you can understand why this idiom is used for a person who's agitated, excited, worried, or always fidgety. This That's the one that seems to be the most literal, right? I think if you had whatever you call ants the collective noun, yeah. a, a, a flock, a group of... <laughs> a murder of a ants. A murder of ants. <laughs> you would be jumping around. Oh, yeah. 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 Sometimes we just say we're feeling antsy. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. I know that you and Laura are at the top of lots of guest lists in this area. Still, I'm sure you would not like to be called by the term hinting that you have emerged from a cocoon. Social butterfly. Yeah. yeah I've always thought of a social butterfly. Well, I don't know if it – Holly Golightly. Uh-huh. And, um, Te- Breakfast at Tiffany. Yes, mm-hmm. I would think of maybe mm-hmm. as a social butterfly. A social butterfly is someone who has lots of friends and acquaintances and goes to a lot of parties and events, just like a butterfly flits from flower to flower. The term often could connote a superficial friend Mm. who's just looking for a good time, and that, I know, that's not you and Laura. Okay, Kyle, that's (laughs) it. See you later, alligator. In a while, crocodile, our Milton Grammarian, Catherine Sheralds. (laughs) This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. We've got a busy 24 hours headed our way, Timothy. Let's start by talking about Justice Sonia Sotomayor is going to be speaking at Crystal Bridges tomorrow, um, talking about her life, her experiences, celebrating Diego Rivera's America. Um, That will be at Crystal Bridges. More information for that at crystalbridges.org. We also have... Tomorrow is the last day for submissions for the Arkansas International's C.D. Wright's Emerging Poet Prize. You can find more details about that at ARKINT.org. And the last thing we want to mention is the Arkansas and Missouri Railroad is hosting the Springdale to Van Buren Ride. Timothy, have you ever done that before? I've never done that, but I have been in the train tunnel along the Arkansas and Missouri Railroad. Okay. Ask. I think that kind of counts. I think that kind of I counts. I wasn't in a train. Okay. So... Anyway. Well, if you'd like to be inside the train on that track, you can do that. That starts tomorrow at 8 a.m. for a full day, 134-mile round trip, and a three-hour layover for lunch and shopping in Van Buren. Find more information about that at Arkansas and Missouri Railroad.
On the most recent episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, host Randy Wilburn speaks with entrepreneur April Roy. She's the founder and CEO of Fempac, which provides accessible period care in every space where menstruating people exist. Before Fempac, April worked as a fashion designer in Chicago and first started thinking about women's health care during her pregnancy. Ended up having my first daughter, which I was diagnosed with hyperemesis gordavium. What is that? Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's like extremely severe morning sickness. Okay. Um, To the point where I was hospitalized most of my pregnancy, on bed rest most of my pregnancy. I always say, she literally sucked the life out of me. (laughs) The doctors would say, she's fine. It's you we're worried about. And so that kind of really put me back on the path of like women's health and why didn't no one know this problem existed? And also finding out it was hereditary because my mom also suffered from it with me. okay. And so- Being put on medication that was for cancer patients. And all I was thinking was, this cannot be safe for the baby. Right. And found out a year later, there was actually a class action lawsuit against the medication that they were giving pregnant women for this. Yeah. And so, again, in this space, having to close my showroom at that time because Mm -hmm. I I could not do it anymore. And so I had my daughter. After I had my daughter... AIBI, which is the apparel board industry, is located in Chicago. At that time, it was ran by Marsha Brenner. She was a jewelry designer, amazing woman, one of the first women on WWD magazine in Chicago. Okay. And so she knew what I'd done with my company and she reached out and it's like, hey, we're starting this local manufacturing company. We want to do it for independent designers. We saw the work that you did and we really would like to bring you aboard. And so I was like, okay, like I could do this. And so it really helped out a lot of other designers who were interested in not only manufacturing, but people who were interested in being a designer or being a seamstress and teaching them how to sew and all of these great things. So I got to work with some amazing people. The apparel boy industry is still around, still prevalent in Chicago. And so did that for a while. And then I ended up getting recruited by a large retailer here in Arkansas. And that's how I ended up in central Arkansas. Wow. And so worked for this large retailer and it was not the environment that I assumed it would be. Sure. That's why they're remaining nameless. Exactly. <laughs> so. um, and so all I was thinking was, I got to like figure out like what's going to be my exit. Am mm-hmm. I going to like go back into fashion and do my thing or like figure out something else? And at that time, I was invited to do Northwest Arkansas Fashion Week. Okay. A friend of mine who was actually there, I think he's over their manufacturing department now at Interform. But he was, uh, we worked together at this large retailer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you should totally do this fashion show. He was like, it's amazing and you would love it. (laughs) And so I ended up doing the fashion show. Did not know Arkansas was doing it like that. Yeah. Had you been to Northwest Arkansas before you came up for the fashion show? Okay. So funny story. When I was in high school, I got recruited by the U of A. Oh, okay. My brother always laughs at the fact that I live here now. Because this was in 2000 when I visited the school. So I graduated high school in 2001. Right. Visited the school, came up here and was like, they don't even have a black radio station. (laughs) Ain't no way I'm going to school here. Right, right. 
so I was very adamant about not coming up here. And I ended up going to school at Xavier University okay. in New Orleans. Good school. Now that it's just so hilarious. My brother's like, I cannot believe you actually live there. I remember that conversation. I remember you kicking and screaming like, I wouldn't dare live there. And now you live there. <laughs> and prior to, so that was a, the only time that I had ever time, yeah. been. And so when I came for the fashion show, you know, I'd done a lot of fashion shows in Chicago. I'd done New York Fashion Week. And so to see the way that they were doing things in Bentonville, all I was thinking was, oh my God, they're doing it like this in Northwest Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Robin, I love Robin. Yeah. Like, she's amazing. Just to see all of the makeup artists, all of the assistants to help the runway show, like everything was just so much like I was sitting in like, New York Fashion Week, sure. that kind of kicked the bug back in me. Like, okay, you're going to like go ahead with this fashion thing and just really do that. Okay, so 2018, I'm on a girl's trip with my best friend. We're in LA. Okay. We're both Aries, so we always celebrate our birthdays together. Okay. She unfortunately gets her period unexpectedly. And so our Airbnb was close to like a, a Walgreens and a CVS. And we just knew we would be able to find something quick, easy, right? To like grab something so she could feel comfortable on her flight back to New York. Yeah. And unfortunately, there wasn't anything like nothing that didn't involve a cardboard applicator or her having to buy a million products just so she could feel comfortable. And then it was, oh my God, they don't even carry my products. Oh my God, I'm going to throw these away when I get home. I don't even want these. I don't have room in my bag for them. And so all of these things, and all I always think was, man, like this isn't the first time that women have gotten their period unexpectedly. Is there right. really not anything for us? And so she went back to New York. I came back to Arkansas and I really started doing some research, like deep dive into seeing like, of course, that has to be like this is 2018. Yeah, there has to be something. <laughs> We're not as evolved as you think. Oh, my God. There was nothing <laughs> like nothing. Yeah. And so I started to research why there wasn't anything. And it was like, oh, we're not the decision makers. Mm -hmm. We're not in the room. So the people, it's a bunch of dudes. Yeah. And the people who are making <laughs> these decisions yeah. don't even realize we have this problem, right, right? Right. And so I was contemplating on, am I really going to do this? And so my partner, he was like, if you don't do it, you're going to be mad. Yeah. So just do it and yeah. figure it out and just see where it goes. I started doing a lot of surveys, asking people in the office. Like I were always worked in an office full of women. Yeah, always. Always, yeah. Just doing a lot of customer discovery, putting surveys online, asking people like, hey, if this happened to you, like, what would you want? Like, what would you want on you if that happened in a public place at any given time? Yeah. And so people start telling me what they wanted and what they would like to have on them. And so that's kind of where it evolved from. Like, I knew what I wanted, mm -hmm. but I wanted to see what other people wanted. I created the product before I even had a business plan. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it was a product that would replace that one size fits all cardboard box that you typically find in a woman's bathroom. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. And not only that, but like comprehensible care. So yeah. overall period care, not just a bandaid on the problem where I still got to go home because, you know, maybe I have like. It has gone through my underwear and I need to change underwear. Like I don't feel clean or, you know, there are other problems that it's not just like getting your period under 
expectantly, but perimenopause, women who are going through this. Yeah. Girls who start their periods for the first time and don't even realize what's going on. Because then you think about the lack of education mm-hmm. when that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, parents don't want to talk to their kids about this. They feel like they may be like it's they're too young. But parents don't realize that between 10 and 12, that's usually when it happens. Sure. And so you would rather for your kids to be prepared than not prepared. Right. My daughter is nine and we have already had those conversations. <laughs> and so and then I hear other moms like, oh, can you talk to my daughter about that? And I'm like, we should just throw a party and talk about periods. Right. Um, and so. <laughs> So I created this product. So we basically have a fit to size black panty that stretches from an extra small to 4X. Okay. We have a tampon with plant-based applicator, a panty liner, a pad, a feminine wipe, two tablet ibuprofen, and one dark chocolate mini for cravings. We like to say it's the perfect solution to every menstruating person's problem. Right. Our products are compostable within 12 weeks. We really wanted to think about sustainability about where our customers exist, because we're thinking about military women, women who like the outdoors. I Mm -hmm. mean, women make up over 51% of outdoor consumers. We have over 80% of buying power. So my biggest thing was, oh, it's not on us. It should be on the places we exist, right? We shop at these places. We take our kids to the zoo, the museum, the amusement parks. We book all the hotels, the flights. We make up over 64% of global travel, but yet when it comes to adequate period care, these places tend to forget about us. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're their largest consumer. So I usually hit the companies in their fields about that, (laughs) Um, you know. You can hear more of Randy Wilburn's conversation with April Roy of FEMPAC at KUAF.com, at IamNorthwestArkansas.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tomorrow on Ozarks, from federal investigations to million-dollar settlements, the University of Phoenix has had a tumultuous few years. But earlier this year, it came out that the University of Arkansas system is working on a deal to purchase the online for-profit college through a newly established nonprofit. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF or at KUAF.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Springdale, and Evansville. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Sophia Nurani, Anna Pope, Randy Wilburn, and Kyle Kelms. Our militant grammarian is Catherine Scherolds. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Timothy Dennis. Please be well.